Last Sunday, uh, my preaching was so powerful that I put Marlies Truffin into labor. <laughs> Stella was born on Monday morning, and she's here today. So if you would like to meet Chris and Marlies and Stella, you're welcome to do that after the service. So if there's any of you ladies that are pregnant, watch out. <laughs> what a laugh that was, huh? Well, I invite you to take your Bible or your electronic device again and turn with me to our same passage of Scripture that we had last week, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> now, sometimes Scripture is difficult to understand. Um, it's not God's plan nor His will that we function in confusion, but it would be the desire of Satan to try to get us to believe that we can't understand His Word, God's Word, you know, algebra was not my favorite subject in, in high school, and uh, I think Ethan's going to have it up on the screen there in, in just a moment, because I want to show you something here. There we go, next. See that? Uh, would Jesus have used algebra? I, I don't know, but that wasn't my favorite subject. But I had an assignment to, uh, to find the X. Well, there it was in plain sight. I mean, come on, how hard was it to find the X? Well, there we go. Sometimes we have that situation in Scripture that uh, we think it's hard, but it really isn't. Well, I don't know how many of you listen to Dr. David Jeremiah on, on the radio or, or on TV. I'm going to be a little bit Jeremiah-ish this morning because I've got five words. I've got the reality, the recognition, the response, the result, and the repulsion. How does that for Jeremiahisms, eh? That's pretty good, isn't it? Boy, I'm pleased that you're with me on that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, shall we? I'm going to read the first 12 verses. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, we ask your blessing on it. We ask clarity in our mind, in our thinkings. We ask blessing as we take these verses, as we take these circumstances from your word and apply them to life. And Lord, we ask these things and we pray it in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what is blessing? According to Keyword Study Bible, the Greek word translated blessed in 
passages is makarios, which means to be fully satisfied. It refers to those receiving God's favor regardless of the circumstances. What is blessing then? Well, Scripture shows us that blessing is anything that God gives that makes us fully satisfied in Him. Anything that draws us closer to Jesus, anything that helps relinquish the temporal and holds on more tightly to the eternal. And often it is the struggles and trials, the aching disappointments, and the unfulfilled longings that best enable us to do that. Sometimes when things are just moving along beautifully and sweetly, we just kind of take that for granted. But sometimes when it seems like the clouds come in, the storms of life come down upon us, and we struggle that we realize where God's full blessing is in the difficult times. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It says in Luke chapter 11 and verse 28, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, Romans 4, 7, quoting from Psalm 32 and verse 1. And blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, James chapter 1 and verse 12. Now, I want us to carry on in Jesus' sermon. We've got a series going on here this summer called Walking in Blessing Lessons from Jesus. And uh, we are taking a look at Jesus, what is called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus saw the crowd. He saw the multitude. It says in another portion of Scripture that he was moved with compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were walking around in in, in a state of confusion. They were walking in a life of difficulty. So Jesus opens up uh, this sermon that deals with a lot of different things by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm just going to give us a quick review from last week for those of you that weren't here. We started on this message last week, and so we'll just do a little bit of a very quick review. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, these nine statements that Jesus made are not nine different individuals realizing these nine different circumstances, but they're one individual and a progression in the life of that individual. So notice with me this morning as we move on through that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, realizing our utter spiritual poverty. Friends, today there is nothing that you and I can do in our own sense, our own nature, our own spirit to do anything spiritually to draw us to God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the work of his Holy Spirit, and we realize our own spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who mourn. Recognizing our spiritual poverty, we move into a state of mourning, the horrible state of our sinfulness, And blessed are the meek, realizing that meekness is power under control. So we recognize our spiritual poverty. We mourn that spiritual poverty, and it drives us in a sense of meekness to hunger and thirst for righteousness, as the fourth one is. Having an understanding of those former three just drives us deeper into a state of wanting to have our hunger and our thirst satisfied by the goodness of God. That is the recognition. We recognize what is going on. Thomas Watson said, Spiritual hunger is the rational appetite whereby the soul pants after which it understands most suitable and proportional to itself. We understand our spiritual hunger just a little bit, and we drive on, we drive deeper to have that hunger and that thirst satisfied when we realize our spiritual poverty, when we genuinely mourn that state of poverty, when we are 
realizing our meek circumstances, then and there only are we in a state of real hunger and thirst. If we are fooling around and we're kind of flitting along in life and everything is kind of going okay, I would say that we don't understand deep spiritual hunger and thirst. Jesus' statement, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, carries with it the meaning of real hunger and starvation of soul, parched and dying thirst. A circumstance that perhaps we don't know enough about. Two Greek verb cases here. One is a genitive case, feeling a bit hungry and a bit thirsty. If you're British today, you know the word peckish. My mother was British, and just that little, I'm feeling a little peckish. Sorry, my British accent is not very active this morning. The other verb case is called an accusative case, which is a hunger and thirst for the whole thing. I don't want to go for snacks. I want to go for the whole meal deal. I want to dive in all the way. Well, the text holds the meaning of a promise of this being fulfilled, but being fulfilled conditionally. A person must starve and thirst for all righteousness if he wishes to be filled with the fullness of life that Christ offers. So who is blessed? Who is fulfilled? Who is contented? Who is truly happy? The person who thirsts to be righteous and then to move on and do righteousness. Because sometimes people do righteous acts in an effort to be righteous. They get the circumstances backwards. Our righteousness is based on being, not on doing. Accepting Christ's finished work on Calvary, his death, his resurrection, his gift to us. Friends, today our righteousness is not about us. Our righteousness is about the gift that God gives us, receiving that, enjoying that, loving that, realizing that fulfillment and that blessing. The world says hungering for things to be right is a fool's game. Nothing ever changes. Get over it because it's not going to change. It's fine to compromise and set aside honor when you're doing what's right is inconvenient. This is the message of the world. In all po- it's all politics, so quit worrying about what is right. Just go for what you need. You've got to look out for number one. That's the message that the world is saying, and you see that, you hear it in commercials. You hear that all over the place, don't you? But Jesus says, God's kingdom is characterized by righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, chapter 17, 14 of Romans, uh, verse 17. Those who are starved for righteousness will be satisfied. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, Jesus said in John 7, 37. So righteousness is well explained in Scripture and in the word faith. Faith is believing God and trusting his goodness. He takes our faith and counts it as righteousness. Abraham did not waver at God's promise, but he was fully convinced that what he had promised Abraham, God was able to perform. Friends, today, physically, we eat often. Physically, we look at the clock, perhaps. My wife says, I'm hungry by the clock. (laughs) 
Well, okay, she's lived with me a good many years, so I guess she knows what she's talking about. Are we hungry in the same way in our spiritual journey? Faith is believing God and trusting his goodness. Hebrews 11, chapter 11 and verse 6 in the Amplified Bible puts it this way. But without faith it is impossible to walk with God and please him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. That was the case with Abraham. And friends, today that is what God desires for you and I, that we would earnestly and diligently seek him, that we would hunger with a passionate hunger, we would thirst with a thirst that is indescribable, and we have the promise that we will be filled. The man of God, the woman of God, who seeks after righteousness, has intentionally put off the old sinful nature and intentionally put on the new man, the new spiritual nature, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, we read in Colossians chapter 3. The response. Well, number five in the list of the Beatitudes says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Matthew 5 and verse 7. I hope you're noticing here the spiritual progression and the development of the person who is truly blessed. We start off in a state of spiritual poverty and we move along. There is a progression, there is a growth pattern, there's a trajectory to moving us closer and closer and closer to the heart of God. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The roots of the tree are down deep, drawing the moisture from the source of the river. We like to garden, and we've got some tomato plants, and we've got some containers buried in the ground because it's apparently better to water your tomatoes from the underneath than on top. So we have these containers buried in the ground, and we take either a con another container or the hose and, and, and fill those containers in the ground, and there's holes in those containers in the ground, and the water seeps out to the roots of the tomatoes. Well, it's really interesting because it doesn't take long and that container is empty and then we fill it again and it's empty and we fill it again. It's like as though those tomatoes are thirsting after that good nourishment that comes from beneath, that comes from a source that is not just all that visible. You see, the progression, again, is recognizing our spiritual poverty. Number two, mourning because of our condition. Number three, yet in an attitude of meekness, moving forward into number four, a posture of hungering and thirsting for righteousness and experiencing God's filling of enrichment, contentment, and fulfillment. I believe that we have people around today that say, yes, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're not living in a situation of contentment and fulfillment. They're trying to seek contentment and fulfillment from other sources and, and, and from worldly sources. While we're now moving ahead, 
from in a state of being to a state of doing. You see, it's like the Ten Commandments. The first three talk of our relationship to God, and then the remaining seven talk of our relationship with others. You see, friends, we got to get it right. we got to get our relationship with God right first, and then we move into our relationship with others. Sometimes we struggle and we try to make nice to others in an effort to get our own act together with God, and it's backwards. Merciful means to have a forgiving spirit and a compassionate heart. It means to be benevolent. Mercy means giving of ourselves for the good of others. Mercy is part of God's nature, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. God is full of mercy, and he wants that attribute that he has given to us to flow out from within us to those around us. People who have experienced mercy and forgiveness are filled with gratitude, cultivating a merciful attitude in return. You know, if you meet up with a man or a lady that just seems to be negative all the time, just seems to be always grumpy about something, you would kind of go, where is your mercy gauge? Are you, is your mercy tank empty? Or where is your mercy gauge at? God expects mercy from his people. <clears throat> what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. So God wants us to function in an attitude of mercy. The world says we want justice. We condemn others to make ourselves feel better. The world says we idolize the arrogant and merciless in sport and wealth and fame and on the screen. Mercy has become a liability. It is way too costly and will prevent the attainment of our goals. Friday night and yesterday, we had the privilege of being down at Irma, Alberta, and we got in three ball games with our granddaughter playing ball in the under-14 age of, of uh, fastball. It was kind of interesting because uh, the, the, the game on uh, Friday night, I believe it was, uh, and then the game on Saturday at the same umpire, and... Uh, I was sitting beside the young lady that was keeping score, uh, our daughter, and uh, the umpire would come over and would communicate a little bit with her, you know, as to what was going on, and they operate by time, and they operate by, by innings, and, and so on, just the way their ruling goes. And, and he, he was a little bit humorous. He was just a kind of a nice fella, you know. And then the game on Saturday was the same umpire, and our daughter says, he's a different guy today. She said, I don't know what's the matter with him. He must have had burnt eggs for breakfast or something because he's not the same guy. But you see, what the world was saying, and some of his calls were calls that they didn't agree with. <clears throat> the coaches came over and discussed things with him, and there were parents in the stands that were muttering, we want justice. We don't believe your call is right. We condemn others to make ourselves feel better. Well, Jesus challenges the way the world thinks by lifting up mercy as an essential quality. They weren't being very merciful to that umpire. Mercy is what Jesus' life was all about. 
God's mercy shown to us through the person of Jesus Christ. We cannot buy God's mercy by our own acts of mercy, but only those who know God's mercy can be truly merciful and receive God's most precious gift, that gift of eternal life and all that entails. Well, there's so much more that could be said about these nine statements, but we are going to move along. Beatitude number six is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see how it's progressing, friends? We're progressing from a state of spiritual poverty. Now we're progressing on and on and on in our closer walk with God. So what is the definition of purity? What does pure in heart look like? Well, pure is defined as a clean heart, unsoiled, unpolluted, cleansed, purged, forgiven, to be holy, to have a single purpose. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 26. The context of our study is the blessedness of the pure in heart, and James addresses several issues. Doers, hearers, self-evaluation, and talkers. He addresses true religion, caregiving versus vain religion. We could create a list of those that he says we give care to. We could create a list that would include the orphans, the widowed, the shut-ins, the newcomers, the unsaved, the lonely, the grieving, the marginalized, and on our list could go. But two promises, I believe, are made in this statement, blessed are the pure in heart. Presently, there is a pure in heart that sees God presently. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, though it's through a glass darkly, the message puts it, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but we're believing, we're holding on, we're excited about the relationship we have with Christ now. And then the other promise is the eternal promise, the poor in heart shall see, pure in heart, sorry, shall see God face to face. First John 3, 2, again from the message, let me share this. What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him And in seeing him become like him, all of us who look forward to his coming stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus. Well, Jesus says one of the constant criticisms of the Jewish leaders was their hypocrisy. They desired to appear pure and holy while being corrupted and impure on the inside. And Jesus came down on them and he said, you're like sepulchers, you're clean on the outside, but inside you're full of death and filthiness. Well, what about the result? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5 and verse 9. Let's again be sure to recognize the sequence and the flow of blessedness that Jesus is teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit, recognizing our spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who mourn, recognizing the horrible state of our sinfulness. Blessed are the meek, recognizing and realizing that meekness is power under control. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Having an understanding of those former three drives us into that state of deep hunger and, righteous, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, being filled with the fullness of God's abundance, leads to a natural progression of showing mercy to those around about us. You know, when you see a person who just exudes mercy, 
you say, praise God, because she or he must have it together in the upper others. Blessed are the pure in heart. True happiness begins in the presence of God. It is a hope that sustains and inspires those living in the kingdom of God. Well, now, the next logical step, friends, today is the next one that would be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9 of Matthew chapter 5. You see, Hebrews, Jewish people, greet each other with the word shalom. But you know, there's a danger that the greeting may just be a word and not really an attitude and an action. It's kind of like in our society where often we find ourselves greeting one another with, how are you? No, you haven't got time to listen how I am, and furthermore, you don't care. Isn't that the case many times? Because if I tell you uh, you're not into organ recitals, you just don't want to know really what's going on in my life. So it's easy enough for the Jewish people to just say the word shalom and not necessarily follow through on what it really means. You see, shalom was broken when mankind sinned and that relationship with God was broken. Shalom was broken when mankind sinned and there was a broken relationship with his creation. Shalom was broken when there's a broken relationship with one another. And we must be careful how we greet one another then if that's, if that's what our habit is. There's three levels of peacemaking that we can explore just a little bit this morning. And we won't take a long time because it, it just, we, we just don't want to do that. We don't have that time factor available to us. But level number one is making peace with God through the provision of his Savior, Jesus Christ. The Savior that God provided for us is the Savior that died on the cross to take the punishment for our sin, the Savior that loved us with an everlasting love given by God the Father, that he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Friend, today, where are you in the whole process? Have you trusted Jesus Christ? Have you recognized your sinfulness? Have you realized your utter spiritual poverty? And come to Jesus Christ and says, yes, I believe what you did, and I believe what you did was for me, and I want to admit my sinfulness, and I want to reach out and embrace your gift today. Making peace with God conquers the inner struggle, settles inner tension, and handles inner pressure. Making peace with God. Secondly, there's making peace with others. I believe that this sometimes comes... I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Making peace within others. Let me get that right, and we're going to talk about the third one in a moment. Making peace within others. Guiding them to a knowledge of Christ. This person seeks and leads others to make their peace with God, to settle their inner tensions, struggles, and pressures. So we can come alongside someone and say, friend, let me help you make peace with God. And then the third one is making peace between and with others. There's some who passively accept trouble. There are those who avoid or ignore troubling situations and making no attempt to bring 
peace between others whatsoever. Well, the world says that peace is the cessation of conflict. Become what the world in war is desperately looking for. And Jesus says the cessation of conflict the world seeks will not be suitable for true peace. The kind of peace that Jesus offers. Jesus, before leaving this earth, promised his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So Jesus is saying, friends, don't look to just the ways of the world. Don't look to just the bank account. Don't look at all the beautiful things, how nicely trimmed your lawn is, and all of these things, that that's the peace that matters. Only Jesus makes this peace possible, and only in him we are those adopted children. Well, then we move on to the repulsion. Number eight and number nine of the Beatitudes are kind of wrapped in one statement, really, because it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.10, and then verse 11 says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, friends, this is the reality. When you realize your poverty, when you flow through and you move on in the different rungs of the ladder, the different steps in the process, until you get to this one, there's going to be persecution in your life. There's going to be persecution. Jesus' ultimate desire is that we live a blessed life, but with that blessing, there will be those who will come down on you. There will be those that will hate you. There will be those that will say all manner of evil against you. Notice the word falsely, Jesus puts in there, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. I want to close this morning with the next four verses in this text. But I'm going to read them to you, verses 13 through 16 from the Message Bible. <clears throat> Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness. You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. You see, we're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on the hilltop on the light stand, then go ahead and shine. Keep open house. Be generous to others with your lives. Be open to others. You'll prompt people to be opening up to God, this generous Father in heaven. 
Friends, today, lessons from Jesus are important lessons. I encourage you to go ahead and take your Bible and over these next days, read every word that's written in red if you have that particular printing in your, your own personal Bible. Read the words of Jesus because lessons from Jesus are absolutely quality things to learn, wonderful truths that we can gain from him that fit life. Pray with me, please. Our Father in heaven, as we realize the presence of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the personality of Jesus, when we realize our purpose, thank you that you've made it possible that positionally speaking, we can know him, we can love him, we can serve him. We can realize his blessing. We can realize the blessedness of the list that he's laid out for us here in Matthew's gospel. Father, if there's someone here today that has not trusted you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day. Today would be their birthday. The day that they would reach out to you and say, God, I recognize my spiritual poverty. I have nothing to offer, but I hold my hands out to receive the gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ offers. Oh God, I pray that that individual would receive the gift of God and enjoy the fullness and the blessing that a life with Christ affords. For those of us that are moving along in our journey, yes, we've trusted Christ, but maybe we're moving along not in, a, not in a really victorious way. We're moving along in a way that is just, just kind of mediocre. Oh God, drive us deep in our love with you. Drive us deep into your word. Drive us deep into a relationship with others that we might be encouraging and and receive encouragement. And Lord, help us to see you in your fullness today. We pray for a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that is so deep. Oh God, we love you. We want to serve you to the fullest of our extent. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.